Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I can do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. My first question to you is, do you know in what book of the Bible that passage is found? If you do, already start turning over there, all right? Because that's where we're going to be studying from today. My second question is, do you know why this statement was made? Who specifically is this bad company that the person who wrote this was referring to? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bible... I want to encourage you to open it up to, and I gave everybody a little bit of time, the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a passage that is found in 1 Corinthians. It's found in the 15th chapter. And what we're going to do today, we're going to talk a little bit about this, this verse. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, I've been preaching for a number of years, and I'm sure throughout your years of worshiping God, you've heard sermons where this verse has been used. And I have used this verse a number of times. And there is a lot of great application, a lot of different examples and ways that we can refer to who this bad company may be. This is a passage we often tell our young people, and this will apply to them as well. And yet it also applies to all of us, not just the young people. And what we find is that the Apostle Paul was writing this to the saints in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible over there, I need to turn over there real quickly. And verse number 34, this is what Paul is going to say. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So there's a warning that the Apostle Paul gave. And as you know, we've been uh, studying from the book of 1 Corinthians. This Wednesday, we're actually going to wrap up chapter 15 and 16 and then move into 2 Corinthians. And so this will kind of be a little bit of a, a head start as we get into our Bible class for this Wednesday. So what I want to do is this. Why did Paul say this? It just seems to be in the middle of this chapter, just hit suddenly. Why is he saying not to be deceived? Deceived about what? specifically. Well, let's find out because this warning has application for us in 2022. For parents, we've been talking about that in Bible class, for grandparents, but for me and for you personally. So what I want us to do, I want us to walk through this, the first 33 verses, and I want us to see what was Paul emphasizing and why did he have to make this warning to the Christians about not being deceived. So let's begin in the first two verses. Will you read with me, please? And if you have something to take notes, feel free to do so as well. Paul said this, Now I make known to you, as he had done earlier in the book, whether it was with marriage or with idols or with spiritual gifts, now he's moving on to another subject, and he said, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. And notice what you can learn about the gospel. The gospel which I preached to you which also you received and which also you stand. The gospel, number one, can be preached. The gospel, number two, can and was received by the saints in Corinth. And number three, they were standing in the gospel. They had believed the truth about Jesus. Verse number two, by which also you are saved. The gospel saves. And that's why it needs to be preached. And believed. If there is a condition though, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
You see, there was danger for the Corinthians, and we've seen some of the danger of jealousy, of envy, of being carnal nature, carnal-minded, of committing sexual immorality and not waiting for one another with respect to taking the Lord's Supper. So Paul had to remind them, you're saved. You've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You need to hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain, because that can happen. We can believe, and then we can turn away from God if not careful. Notice what he said in verse number 3 through verse number 8. Paul is going to emphasize the, the good news. He delivered to them what was of first importance And what a great thing for us to think about in our lives. What is of first importance? Notice what he said in verse 3. I delivered to you, he had preached it, as of first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So he's going to get into really uh, the the, the basics or the things of most importance uh, with respect to what Christ did. What did Christ do? Number one, he died for our sins. John chapter 1 and verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. According to the scriptures. Whenever you hear that word or see that word scripture, it's talking about divine writings. From Genesis to maps. Okay, maybe not the maps at the back of the Bible, but from Genesis to Revelation, all right? Those 66 books, those are scripture, divine writings from the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you another question. You can write this down if you like. He said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What scriptures come to your mind when he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures? You see, he was talking about Old Testament scriptures, right? So what passages can uh, th- uh, can you think of? Well, one would be Psalm chapter 22. We're not going to read it, but Psalm 22 would be one. Another one might be Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah. Then another one may be Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Remember, Peter would quote this on the day of Pentecost talking about the death and resurrection of Christ. So Paul is rehearsing or going back to these Old Testament passages that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, so he died on the cross, that he would be buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Well, that's what we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Turn over real quickly to John chapter 19. Remember, in John chapter 19, we find Jesus after he had died. In John chapter 19, it was Jesus who would say on the cross, it is finished. And in John 19, verse number 38, the Bible says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. And I find that interesting. There's a, there's a sermon right there, secret discipleship. He was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100 pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in the linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified. So he died on the cross. There was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, 
Since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now look at chapter 20 real quickly, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. You look in verse 5, they were stooping down, Peter and the other disciple, they stooped down and looked in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Jesus was risen from the grave. The tomb was empty. So what Paul is doing, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what Paul is doing, he's reminding them of this historical fact, this historical reality. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. His body was raised from the grave. He's talking about this bodily resurrection. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that, I think, would fall or point to Psalm chapter 16. Now notice in verse number 5 that he said, and that he appeared to Cephas. He's talking about the apostle Peter. (coughs) Excuse me. Then to the 12. We just saw that in John chapter 20. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren, young people notice this, okay? This is important for you and for all of us, really. That Jesus, he was seen by the apostles. They saw him alive. He had died, was buried, now he had risen, and his apostles had seen him, but it didn't stop there. You see, we have these witnesses or these eyewitnesses like the apostles, and then it says that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some had fallen asleep. So if this was written around 55 A.D., think about the significance and the impact of what Paul was saying. There's still people alive while he was writing this that had seen Jesus with their own eyes resurrected from the dead. That's powerful evidence that the tomb indeed is empty. We have the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. More than 500 brethren at one time saw him alive. Look at verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, and I think this is so important, Because a lot of people say they make these claims that they have seen Jesus themselves. But Paul says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. That's Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22 when Paul was on the road to Damascus. And we don't have to see Jesus alive with our own eyes to believe. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter reminded the saints that there were those there who had not seen Jesus alive. And yet believed and loved him. And that's the same true for us. Same as is true for us. We have the miracles recorded so that we will believe. And so what Paul is doing, he's just rehearsing these, these essential details and facts as he is going to eventually get to this idea of this bad company and why this bad company corrupts good morals. So watch what he says next in verses 9, 10, and 11. For I am the least of the apostles... I see Paul and his humility here. You see, Paul was ravaging the church. He was dragging people out of their homes and throwing them into prison. And he did it with great zeal and confidence until the Lord appeared to him. And we see this great humility that Paul had in verse 9. I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, so notice this contrast, by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, Paul, he understood. He was very successful in the work that he did, but it was all about God, not him. And what a great point of application for us. It's not about us. It's always about God. And what God has given us and how we can 
work for him. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. Think about God's grace and what he's done for you. Is it in vain? How have we responded to his grace? Do we just disregard it? Or do we respond in the way that the Apostle Paul did? He said, it did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. You see, for Paul, God's grace caused him to take even more action, to work for him. And to understand that, no, he's not working for his salvation, but this is the normal, natural response when you have received such a gift. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He knew his strength ultimately was from the Lord. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. You see, he had delivered to them the gospel. Now, this next section is very important because it's going to reveal to us the bad company that Paul is talking about. So here we go. Look at the next set of verses in verses 12 through 19. Now, notice what Paul says. Now, if Christ is preached, and Paul had already said that he preached the gospel in Christ, that he has been raised from the dead. He just talked about that in verses 3 and 4. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Do you see the dilemma? There were Christians who believed in the resurrection, the the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but they did not believe that they or others would be raised bodily from the grave. So look at this problem here. He said, well, wait a second. I've been preaching Christ, preaching that he's raised from the dead, and yet there are some among you in this church that say there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, so now he's going to lay out, here is the conclusion or the ramifications if you do not believe that you will be raised from the dead, that others are going to be raised from the dead as well. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is vain. You see, you can't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, but not others are going to be raised from the dead one day. They go hand in hand. And if there is no general resurrection, if there's no bodily resurrection that will take place one day, then we're all in a lot of trouble. Our preaching is in vain. That's what he says in verse 14. And not only that, but your faith, your faith in who Jesus is, the gospel, it's in vain as well. Here's another problem. Moreover, verse 15, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Paul, Cephas, James, the other apostles, they're all been lying this whole time. If there is no resurrection of the dead. Because if that is true, then Christ is not even raised. So what he's doing, he's laying out this huge dilemma. Moreover, we are even found to be, verse 15, false witnesses of God. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So here is why what some of them were believing was such a problem. The ramifications were huge. If you do not believe that you're going to be raised from the dead one day, if you don't believe that others will not be raised from the dead one day, your faith is in vain, our preaching is in vain, We've spoken against God, and even Jesus has not been raised from the dead. 
And if he's not raised from the dead, then what does that mean for all of us here this morning and for the church in Corinth? It means we're all lost. It means there's no hope. And that's what he's going to emphasize. If Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is worthless. What a sad state of affairs. You're still in your sins. Remember, he said earlier in chapter 15, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. If there is no resurrection of the dead, brothers and sisters, it means that Jesus died, well, he died for nothing. His death was like everyone else's death if there's no resurrection of the dead. His death did not help deliver us from our sins and, and, and pay the debt of our sins if there is no resurrection from the dead. You see the significance of this? And are you starting to see why it's important what people believe about Jesus and about what the Scriptures have to say, particularly with respect to the resurrection of the dead, a bodily resurrection that's going to happen one day? He said, well, if, if you don't believe this to be true, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. How many times at a funeral do we hear 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, not to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep, because we know that one day Jesus will come back, the trumpet will sound, and we'll all meet him in the air to be with him forever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, what a sad state of affairs. If there is no resurrection, those of us who have gone on before, who have died in the Lord, Paul said, no, they've, they've perished. You have no hope for your mom and dad, no hope for your sibling, no hope for your loved one who died in the Lord, because if there's no resurrection of the dead, well, see, they're lost as well. They have no hope. And so in verse 19, he would say, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, and isn't that what we all need? We all need hope. We need hope. This can't be all there is, right? If this world is all there is, how pathetic are we really? But you know what? There's a lot of people who live that way. This world is all there is. There's nothing else after we die. (laughs) There's no resurrection of the dead. Okay, maybe Jesus was raised from the dead, but we're not going to be raised from the dead if that is true. And we're almost to be pitied, verse 19. Do you see the problem with this belief that some of the brethren, and some might think it's strange, how could Christians not believe (laughs) that one day they're going to be raised from the dead? Look at John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Jesus spoke about this fact, that one day judgment day is coming, and one day we all, the righteous and the unrighteous, will be raised from the dead. There will be a bodily resurrection from the dead. In verse number 18, or I'm sorry, John 5, verse number 28, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. One day, my friend, all the tombs are going to be emptied. And yet there were some in the church of Corinth who did not believe that to be true. How could that be? 
Well, we already know some of the problems that that congregation had. So maybe this isn't too much of a shock. But is it what is it what you believe? Do you believe that there won't be any kind of resurrection of the dead? And if you believe that, then there are some severe consequences. And yet, even in the first century, we know that the pagans would believe that there's no resurrection of the dead. But even religious-minded people, like in Acts 23, in verse number 8, where the Bible says, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. They didn't believe there was a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or a spirit. So there were others who had this belief as well. And maybe some of them had now influenced the Christians in Corinth. So watch what Paul is going to do next in verse number 20. Verses 20 through 28 as we get back to that main passage of verse number 34. Notice the contrast. But now, I've said all this, but here's the thing. Christ has been raised from the dead. So I know some of you believe that there is no resurrection, but make no mistake about it. Jesus is risen from the dead. And here's the significance of that. Because Jesus has been risen from the dead, it also means that we too are going to rise from the dead. You can't have one without the other. And that's what Paul is going to explain. In verse number 20, he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. You look at like passages like Leviticus 23. The first fruits of a crop were offered to God. They were given to the priest. And this was like denoting the beginning of what was to come. If there was a first fruit that was going to be offered up, what did that mean? Well, it meant that there was going to be more to come. A harvest was coming. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. Jesus is risen from the grave. So this is a guarantee or a sample of what is going to happen one day when he returns. When he returns, because he's already risen, we too are going to rise from the dead. There will be a bodily resurrection. And what an amazing, comforting thought to consider. You don't have to worry about. You don't have to guess or or just have this idea. I don't know if it's really going to happen. No, Paul is saying, no, Jesus is risen, which means that you will rise one day as well. You will die physically and go back to the grave. But your body one day will be risen from the dead. It's going to happen. Guarantee. We can't make guarantees like that in this world. But Jesus can And that should be where our faith is. For since by a man came death, he makes his contrast between Adam and Christ. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Through Adam came death, but a man, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, talking about Jesus. Verse 22, for as in all Adam, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, notice this, verse 23, Christ, the first fruits. So, Make a line and go back to verse number 20. He's talking about the first fruits again. Why? Because it's a guarantee. It's an example of what is going to happen one day. Because Jesus is risen, we will rise as well. But notice the order. In each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, that's already happened. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. So he will return one day for his people. And we will rise from the grave to be with him forever. That's that's First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. And all of this is ushering in or ushering the end. Verse 24. Then comes the end. 
Everything is going to change. And here's another point of application of why this is so significant and what we believe and why we believe it is so important. Our worldview about how things are going to be. The resurrection of the dead is true, my friend, because Jesus is risen from the dead. And then we one day will rise too. And verse 24, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. That's Acts chapter 2. He reigns in heaven. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. How will death eventually and finally be abolished? Because all the tombs are going to be emptied. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. He quotes from Psalm 8 and verse 6 and verse 27. But when he says all things are put in subjection... It is evident that he is expected who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. What a powerful text of what will happen when Jesus returns. And let me just add one more thought that I forgot when verse 24, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father. See, the kingdom is here. The kingdom exists. We are a part of the kingdom. There are some who believe that when Jesus returns, he will establish a thousand year reign on earth and establish his kingdom. But notice what the text says. He's going to hand over the kingdom to the Father. The kingdom is here. And that's important because a lot of people have that view, which is false, that Christ did not establish his kingdom. And so what Paul is hoping us to see, that yes, the resurrection from the dead is going to happen. And what he does in the next few verses, and we cannot answer all of these questions, but he's going to begin to address some questions that some of the Christians may have had. In verse 29, otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? That's one of the big verses that a lot of people have questions about. But he seems to be just addressing some thoughts or questions that they would have had. And there may be some things that we don't fully understand. I don't fully understand everything he's saying in verse 29. I think I can understand what he's not saying about what we are not supposed to do. But he's just making some arguments that if there is no resurrection of the dead, here are some more ramifications. Look at verse 30. Why are we also in danger every hour? Paul was in danger all the time. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Why? Because he's preaching the gospel. In fact, in Acts chapter 18, remember the Lord came to Paul in a vision in the night. And you know what he said? Do not be afraid any longer. There are much people here who need who need to be saved. I'm with you. Do not be silent, but continue to speak. You see, Paul was in danger every day. And so his point in verse 30 is, well, why am I in danger every day if there's no resurrection of the dead? What is the point of everything that I am doing? Look at what he said in verse 31. I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Why? Because this world is not all there is. The resurrection will take place one day. If from human motives, verse 32, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. Is he talking about animals? Maybe. But more likely, he's talking about the wild, crazy people who were there in Ephesus. 
in Ephesians chapter 19 when a, a large crowd was crying out for a few hours. Paul had great opposition and he fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. But notice what he says. What does it profit me? Why am I going to do all of this if there's no resurrection of the dead? Why am I going to do all of this if my preaching is vain, your faith is worthless, all of us as apostles are liars? It makes no sense at all. But here's the truth. Jesus is risen. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, which means that I too one day will be risen from the grave. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 22. And he's talking about people who have no hope. God had called to his people to repent. But that was their mentality. Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. This is all we have. And you know what? A lot of people in the world today, that's how they live, right? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Live it up and do whatever you want. Because once you die, there's nothing else. But Paul is saying that's wrong. There is something. Jesus is risen from the dead. And one day you will rise from the dead as well. To be with him forever or to be eternally separated from God. And so all of that, look at now verse number 33. Notice what he said in verse number 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So now let me ask you the question. Who's the bad company? What do they believe? How are they living? Well, in the text, the bad company are those who don't believe there's any resurrection from the dead. They don't believe they're going to be raised from the dead. They don't believe others are going to be raised from the dead. And isn't it fascinating and scary all at the same time that Paul says, this is bad company. Because if you have this worldview and belief, it has ramifications. So much so that in the very next verse, he said, become sober minded as you ought and stop sinning. Why would he tell them to stop sinning? It appears that this view and this belief and this false doctrine had now influenced them. Be careful of the company you keep. Be careful of what people believe and how it influences your life. Because make, make no mistake about it, it will influence your life. This is a warning. Don't be deceived. Some of them had this belief. And what a shame that some Christians believe we're not going to be raised from the dead. Of course you are. And so will we. So what does this mean for us? Well, number one, this means for us that we need to believe that Jesus is risen from the grave. You talk about raising children. We need to instill in our children that Jesus is risen from the grave. This is not like any Marvel movie. This is not like Obi-Wan Kenobi or any other Star Wars character, all right? This is reality. Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. More than 500 people saw him at once alive. The apostles saw him. They saw him eat and drink. They touched his hands and his sides. It wasn't some spirit was flesh. 
His body rose from the grave. That's what we need to believe. Jesus indeed is risen from the grave. Number two, we need to understand that one day we will rise from the grave as well. Remember my sermon from last week in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus said in verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Even when we die, brothers and sisters, one day we will continue to live or we will continue to live. Because death is not the end. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Meditate on that passage this week. This idea and this belief and reality that I will never die. Do you believe that? Jesus says that to be true. And Paul helps us to see that we are going to rise from the grave. And this text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 should give us great comfort and confidence all at the same time. Not because of who I am or who you are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. Number three, we need to really take Paul's warning seriously. Think about this. How many influencers today in the world, podcasters, authors, celebrities, movie stars, TV stars, whoever else, could fall into this category of bad company? There are people who are professed atheists and agnostics. They don't even believe Jesus exists. Or if they do, they don't believe he died for the sins of the world. They don't believe that he's risen from the grave. And they certainly don't believe that there's going to be a bodily resurrection one day. They just believe this is all there is. There's nothing else after you die. That's what they believe. And what Paul says is that and those kinds of people, that's bad company. And you better not be deceived. Young people, you need to take this to heart. Don't marry someone who would fall into this bad company because they will influence your heart. We need to ask ask ourselves the significance and really think about, do you believe that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead? We need to talk like this. Do you believe Jesus has risen from the dead? A lot of people say no. And Paul says that's a warning. Don't be deceived. They're bad company and they will, if not careful, corrupt you. In your life. And we see this in the world, how the world rages. Think about what happened in the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade and abortion. And everybody, it seems like, or at least many people are up in arms. Because they want to do whatever they want to do. Taking life into their own hands. How do people have this view and attitude and perspective, this world view? Maybe because of this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If that's all you believe, if you just think this is it, it doesn't matter what you do, how you live. And so many other sins could fall into or do fall into this category. Do not be deceived. Who are you allowing to influence you? Let me ask you that question. Who do you listen to? Who has the attention of your children right now? If the Holy Spirit does not have their attention, and if they are not listening to God's word, 
and meditating on God's word and seeing us doing the same, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Attention equals influence. And so just ask yourself, who has your attention? Does God have our attention, brothers and sisters? Or is it all the voices in the world who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead? That's bad company. And what Paul says is, you better be, you better be careful. Bad company corrupts good morals. Which is why we need to be steadfast in our faith. You see, what Paul is going to do, and what we'll talk more about on Wednesday, Lord willing, he talks about how our bodies are going to be changed. Some of the Corinthians evidently had a hard time understanding how would this work in verse 35. Someone will say, how are the dead raised? What? What do you mean, how are the dead raised? How did God create heaven and earth? How did he create everything in Genesis? If he had the power to do that, then why would we ever think he doesn't have the power to raise us from the dead? And that's another point, too. Those who reject the bodily resurrection of Jesus and of of others one day, they deny the power of God. They reject the power of God. And so what Paul is going to say in verse 36, he says, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it die. He's going to go into this whole argument about what God is going to do. And he ends the chapter by saying, therefore, because of everything I've said about what is going to happen on the last day. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. You see why we need to be steadfast? Because the last day is coming. The judgment day is coming. The end is coming. And the tombs are going to be emptied. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's our focus. That's our mission. That's our worldview. That's our perspective. And when we have that, it will change everything. When we know that death is not the end, there's nothing to fear. No Bible study question, people in the world, worldviews that people have. We have nothing to fear because we know death is not the end. We fear the one that can kill both body and soul, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 10. Not the one that can kill the body. And so what Paul is helping us to see is, no, you remain with Christ. And you take this warning seriously. Because bad company, if not careful, will corrupt good morals. In fact, let me take that out. Let me take that back. He doesn't say if not careful. I'm adding that. So let me just read the text. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, period. That's what he says. We like to add all these little caveats. No. Don't be deceived. So I want to end with this question. Thank you for your attention today. Have you been deceived? As Christians, there were some in the church in Corinth who did not believe in in the resurrection of the dead. Have you been deceived? Have we been deceived? If we have, we need to repent. And we need to go back to the word of God and open up our Bibles and see what does the Holy Spirit have to say. And believe what Jesus says to be true. Believe what Paul says, who was guided by the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you another question, young people. 
Who are you listening to? Who has your attention? Attention equals influence. And there are people who fall into the category of bad company. Be wise in who you listen to and what you follow. Parents, are we helping our children to understand that the resurrection of the dead is true? It's not some silly made-up story. It's not fiction, it's reality. And do we believe it to be true? If we do, let's be steadfast and immovable. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, we want you to be saved. So you can have the same confidence, hope, salvation from your sins. And one day, raised to be with your Savior forever. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are in the need or looking for more motivation in your life, feel free to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog, where you can find hundreds of encouraging, motivational blog posts on a variety of subjects. You can find all of my books, which can also be found on amazon.com and other podcast interviews with a variety of people. I hope this helps. Please leave me a rating and a review. I can do and so can you. Take care and God bless. Thank you.